Before we celebrated the resurrection, we had to remember the crucifixion. And before that were the trials. So the trials of Jesus. Jesus was brought before priests and kings, well, pagans and hypocrites, and they were found wanting. <laughs> Not him, them. Jesus wasn't the one on trial. I mean, they thought he was. But they were wrong. It's the priests and the kings that were the ones that were really on trial. And they were all found guilty. Jesus before priests, Jesus before specifically Annas and Caiaphas, and before kings, they weren't technically kings, but they ruled like it, Herod and Pilate. So we're going to talk about Jesus before the priests. Now, the chief priests were the hypocrites. Okay, they, unfortunately, at the time of Christ, those they, they used and even lived by the law, but they didn't believe it was true. They didn't believe a word of it. We're going to first talk about when they brought Jesus before Annas, the high priest. Well, okay, now Annas was high priest until he was deposed by one of Pilate's predecessors. And then they turned it to an annual thing and they paid the Romans every year to get to be high priest and they made him change. Yeah, so that's kind of the idea behind this guy. Annas had four, they think maybe there were five, they're not sure of the one name, five sons and this son-in-law, as well as one grandson, all of whom were at one point or another, before and after this time, were high priests under the Roman rule there. None of them was there because of fervent belief in God and his word. No, I'm sorry. It would have been nice, but no, none of them. Anna's position and all of those of his relatives was purchased from the Roman authorities. So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Well, the first question is, what? <laughs> Wouldn't they bring him right to the high priest? Why Annas? Why first to Annas? Well, because really the truth is Annas was ruling everything. He refused to work under the ruling structures that God had set up, either the Roman or the Jewish, Israeli. He had purchased this power for himself. So, understand, he was not in authority because he was living by the system of the Old Testament. No, none of those high priests were high priests because of the way the Bible was written. And then when he did have it and they took it away from him, <laughs> he, he found a way to, by graft, keep that control by ruling through his sons and his son-in-law and later his grandson. And God did not recognize Annas' leadership. There's this interesting statement. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. And if you go back and check on that quote earlier when he actually said it, the Bible tells us that God put those words in his mouth. Wow. Annas wasn't recognized by God. Caiaphas was that one to give that prophecy. Even though Caiaphas was not high priest by the rules that God had set up, he was high priest. And so God used him in spite of himself. And, and in case you wondered, neither Caiaphas or Annas even noticed. They didn't get it. They missed it. Because uh, usually hypocrites don't care about truth. So Annas, the high priest, then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now this trial was illegal. 
on a great number of points. And this, by the way, again, illustrates Anna's willingness to abandon law, the, the very laws that gave him power. He was willing to abandon them if he thought doing so would benefit him. Or if he thought obeying the laws would hurt his position. He, he didn't care. He'd dump them in a moment. And the first illegal activity of the trial is that Jewish law did not allow the questioning of the accused person. Those who accused him first had to make their whole case before anybody could question the person that was accused. So right off the bat, they're doing it wrong. But they trial, so what? They may be practicing for <laughs> the real one they were going to do later. I don't know, maybe... Maybe they were hoping Jesus would slip up and implicate himself in something that they could use. And remember, they don't know the truth. They assume that Jesus is a hypocrite just like they are because really nobody really believes this stuff, right? So that's where they are. But they asked and Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. <laughs> now first, Jesus is making clear that he knows they're not supposed to question him and especially in secret like they're doing. And so he's giving them, if you will, a chance to change. You're not supposed to do this, guys. And they get a chance. And then second, of course, he is opposing their actions by comparing them to his. He did his work openly. They did theirs at night under cover of darkness. <laughs> He acted properly. He did it the way you're supposed to. They used intrigue specifically by purchasing Judas' cooperation, remember? And so their response. And when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong, but if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Well, the first high priest, he called the guy the high priest. Any question who's really in charge here? But mostly, it's absolutely illegal to strike a prisoner. Now, then, anytime. You, you just don't do that. And certainly not one that was as yet, anyway. Un, he was uncondemned. They hadn't even gotten to the point where they were saying he was condemned. But Jesus, interestingly, ignores all that and sticks to the important issue. What he said was true. Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So the charade is finally over. They're going to quit pretending. So the legal trial, the actual legal trial, before the Jewish leaders will now begin. Now Caiaphas, he's the puppet leader, right? He's the son-in-law. He's there because he's got told to be there. <laughs> he does what he's told. His job is to manage the politics. That's why he's there. And those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. That they might put him to death. Catch that? They're not interested in truth or justice. Just in whatever gets what they want done, done. <laughs> Expediency. And only the appearance of righteousness concerns them. Okay, they're hypocrites. And they don't even consider the death of Jesus. It's like right over their heads. Even if he was guilty, they should have had some sorrow. I mean, God does, in even those kind of cases, 
Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live. They they just don't care. It's it's kind of too bad. And notice what poor students of Jesus' actual teaching, which they were supposedly judging, that they are. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree, and some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We have heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. (sighs) They'd never really listen to what Jesus said. And frankly, they're not likely to ever listen. But Jesus remained silent. He just refused to deal with anything but the real issue. Those wily priests don't even want to bring up the real issue. (laughs) But finally they realize they have no choice. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Okay, I got to stop there because did you hear what he just said? He knows what Jesus said. He knows what's going on. He knows that the Christ is the Son of God. He knows it. He knows everything. But Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So first, Jesus confesses the truth and he can finally answer the question that they should have been considering all along. This is what they should have been asking. He is the Son of God. Is this kind of like their last chance? (laughs) Listen, he clearly says it. And he also, he knows they don't think so. So he warns them. He warns them that he will provide proof in the future and will exercise his power. Another warning that could save them if they would listen. But they don't. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. First, dramatic enough, tearing the clothes. (laughs) These guys are always dramatic. But did you notice what's missing here? Nobody says, What do you think? Do you think he's telling the truth? They don't even bring it up. They don't even consider whether it's true or not. They only have this predetermined use of what they're going to find out. That's all. They already decided what they're doing. They're just trying to get to the point where they can do it. And they, what are they gaining? What are they hoping for? Well, they want to continue their political power. They want what they have. And did you notice that Caiaphas wants to involve all the others in their sin, in his sin? You know, get, come on, you guys, what are you? I don't know, hypocrites always want to get others to join them. We should try to get people to join us too. But why? You know, we're not trying to sell Christianity. We want it because we want people to enjoy a relationship with the living God. That's what we're trying to achieve. But they do it to try to bolster their position. You know, if more people agree with me, then I must be right. That could be part of it. Or sure, they're looking to add their power. And some begin to split on him and to cover his face and strike him, saying to him, Prophesy! And the guards received him with blows. What? Why did they do that? Why did they do these kind of things? I mean, their actions were meant to demean the person. They were 
never really concerned with justice or righteousness. Hypocrites, by the way, you watch, they always attack people. Not the facts that interest them. It's the person they attack. You wonder, is, is it just because they hate themselves? <laughs> so they hate everybody? And they figure everybody hates them? So they strike out at people? I don't know. I think sometimes, anyway, we should imitate Jesus when they do and simply say nothing. The end of their trial, I think, of this trial is maybe the saddest thing of all for them. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. (laughs) They want to keep the little rules because they think they're Jews. You know, we're going to keep our ceremony. The ceremony we got to, we got to do church right while we're asking to kill this guy. <laughs> wow. They don't have a clue what a real Jew is. Paul said, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. That's what a real Jew is. These guys wanted to keep the ritual of Passover while they killed the Passover sacrifice. Wow! Anyway, let's go for the kings. And first, we're going to consider Jesus before Herod, but we're going to back up just a little bit. Luke, in the early part of his gospel, wrote, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee. So Luke, of course, he says that to set his story historically. But it gives us an interesting point that that Herod, the same Herod at Jesus' trial, is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. Remember, that was John the Baptist called him on the fact that his brother's wife was living with him. You know, so, Yeah, so that's why he killed John the Baptist. So Herod represents those who live in a culture of belief, but they, they just kind of examine it as a curiosity. They don't, it's not really anything to them. And they really don't care anything about it. But first question, how did Herod even get to see Jesus in this whole thing? Uh, when Pilate was trying to release Jesus, the chief Jews were strongly opposing him, but they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. So it's interesting that Pilate was willing to use Jesus, by the way, for political gain. Don't miss that as we get back to Pilate. But this is, this is how Herod ended up with Jesus for him. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. To Herod, Jesus was just a novelty, a traveling magician you know, who would entertain and amaze him. He's just looking for something fun to see. And people who should know better, like Herod, but are too busy pleasing themselves they often take nothing believers say seriously. They hardly take anything seriously. They're too busy living their own lives to be bothered by such things as truth. And Jesus will have nothing to do with it. So he questioned him at some length. 
But he, Jesus, made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. Here's the totality of Herod's contribution. Ask inane questions that deserve no answer. Let people rail against the innocent as long as they say good things about you. Then join the party and treat the innocent worse than your flatterers and end up, end it all up by bringing together all the elements of unbelief. The hypocrites were there. Those who live in the culture but don't believe and the pagans who don't believe the truth. They're all there. <laughs> and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day for before this they had been at enmity with each other. You ought to wonder, what kind of friend can you make when your connection is to ridicule and crucify another person? Wow. It used to be in America that most unbelievers were either priests or Herods. You know, they were one of those. They, But in our lifetime, that's all changed. Most American non-believers don't know anything about Jesus. I think I told you that standing right over there, a young kid kept saying Jesus Christ and he wasn't being positive, <laughs> I finally said to him, why do you keep talking about Jesus? And he said, what? You keep saying Jesus' name. Why do you keep talking about Jesus? And he said, I'm not kidding you, this is America. You mean that was a person? He didn't know. He did not know Jesus was a person. And I said, yeah, he's the one who died on the cross. He said, they killed people in those? <laughs> didn't know. But the point is, most people are pagans. They don't know about Jesus now. They don't know anything. So this one may be the most important to learn. All about Pilate. So who's Pilate? So Pilate had been ruling for seven years by this time. And that's pretty good because the governors before him had averaged only two years. Some of them a couple months. So to give you, It was a tough, tough place. The reason is, though, Pilate had very strong political support when he came there. However, in Roman history, we find out an interesting thing. The Romans were not nice people. I don't know. <laughs> they were really violent and they would kill their opponents. So the guy that was supporting Pilate and it got him into power got killed in Rome, along with all of his friends. Uh, <laughs> that's happened just literally months before this. So Pilate's on the edge of his seat. He doesn't know what's going on. So, and he's not fearing just for his position. He's fearing for his life because they kind of tended to kill everybody. That, yeah. So he's, he's in a delicate situation now. So he doesn't want trouble. But he also knows these Jewish leaders. <laughs> and to say that they are, they are in opposition to each other is, that's, yeah, definitely. They did not like each other. They hated each other. And the point is, he's going to do his best not to cooperate with them no matter what. No matter, He's just going to try not to cooperate with them. But, that's exactly what he ends up doing. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would have not delivered him over to you. Pilate doesn't trust them, but he's playing the game. They give that vague answer. Do you guess, Boy, he must be doing something wrong. You think we bring him here? He was doing anything wrong? <laughs> They, basically, again, they don't want to admit the real reason they're bringing Jesus. Okay? Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Whoa. Now, Pilate tries to dump the problem back on them, but they have an agenda. 
And besides, Jesus has already said how he's going to die, and no matter what any of these people think, no matter what they intend, it's going to happen. But then they accused Jesus of insurrection. He was trying to, they say he's trying to set himself up as king rather than Caesar. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus to him and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say that of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Now, according to Roman law, if Jesus was trying to set himself up as king in place of Caesar, then he would be guilty of death in their law. So Pilate had to consider that. But Jesus wants to know in what way Pilate understands this claim. He's trying to get Pilate to understand. And Pilate, to his credit, admits his ignorance. He doesn't know what's going on. But he also points out that fact that the very people that are claiming Jesus is trying to set himself up as king are also turning him in. They're rejecting him. What's going on here? And hypocrites can make it harder to tell people about Christ. Oh, yeah, I've heard that before. But sometimes it's the other way around. That's what's going on here. Pilate wants to know what's going on. What is it? What's happening? So Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And this this is a really critically important statement. It's a lesson for pagans. So when you talk to someone who doesn't know, the first thing Jesus said was his kingdom can't be defined in terms that an earthly kingdom can. Nothing on earth matches what he's got going. And in fact, his kingdom doesn't even originate from this world. So Jesus is claiming to have a kingdom that is supernatural in origin. It doesn't come from here. There's a nature outside of this nature that's where Jesus gets his authority, his power. That's where he comes from. So even religiously ignorant Pilate should have understood it's not about Jesus ruling at all. It's about where he is from. It's about where his authority comes from, about his being supernatural in origin. In other words, it's about who Jesus is, the person of the Son. But Pilate is a long ways from ready for that. And he's still stuck on the legal issue. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. By the way, did you catch that? I was born for this purpose. I came into the world for this purpose, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? Which we talked about last week. But lesson number two. It's not about ruling, Pilate. It's about knowing. Knowing what is external to this world. Well, who? But Pilate's probably not ready for that either. And Pilate decides, eh, it's just too hard to look into. He's not willing to make the effort. And he decides to deal with what he has to. So he looks for an easy, kind of indirect way out of the problem, a kind of a shortcut. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. The priests choose a man, we find out in another part of Scripture, that's actually really guilty of insurrection. He was trying to set himself up as king. And he murdered somebody to do it. 
and he's a thief, and they say, give us that guy, rather than the one that they know is not guilty. So the shortcut having failed, Pilate tries for a compromise. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. So compromise is a common tactic of pagans. They don't have any solid truth. There's nothing to depend on that way. And so anything can be sacrificed to achieve whatever their goal is at the moment. And Pilate's compromise, you know, beat and mock him some, make him look pitiful and helpless and foolish, and maybe they'll just say, oh, okay, well, that's enough. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to him, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. So the compromise fails. <laughs> Pilate tries once again to squirm out of the problem by handing it off to the Jews. And remember, they can't legally kill Jesus. Certainly not crucify him. However, they want Jesus to suffer <laughs> as much and be as humiliated as much as possible. And nothing, nothing's worse than crucifixion. So they ratchet up the pressure. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. Well, first, the Jews are forced to admit the real issue, finally. And Pilate gets scared, really scared. Uh, many unbelievers, uh, pagans, they're very superstitious. I don't know, if I, I watched baseball real tight for a while because our son was being scouted and all that. It was fun to watch some of these baseball players. There was a, I think it was a, uh, I can't remember what position he played, but he had this pair of socks that he put on once and had a great game. So he wore them the next day. Didn't wash them because that might wash away the good. And for like weeks, he wore these socks until finally he had such a bad day and, the, and his teammates were complaining so bad that he finally threw them away and got some new socks. There was a guy who would go into his locker and every time he hit the locker in a spot, why do you do that? Well, you know, remember back when I got that triple slam, that triple slam? I hit it there before the game. And so I do that every game because you just never know. I, and there are guys who put their clothes on in a certain order. Why? Because that one game. And I did that. <laughs> there are superstitious, tremendously superstitious. Pagans often are because what else have they got? They can get anything else. So here's this guy, scared to death. <sighs> what to do? So Pilate then goes to Jesus and asked Jesus what Jesus has already told him. <laughs> he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? We've already been through this. But Jesus gave him no answer. The reason is, Pilate doesn't really want an answer. He just wants an out. And now he's afraid. Maybe Jesus is some sort of quasi-divine person. He might get in trouble with whatever kind of supernatural entity there might be, ghosts, who knows? He's just trying to protect himself. That's what Pilate's trying to do. Sort of like people who are looking for fire insurance. Do you know what fire insurance is? We were talking, Becky's brother's a Methodist pastor. We were talking about it when we were down there visiting him. People come in all the time. They want to get baptized. Never see him again. Why? Well, I figure if I get baptized and I come every Christmas, then maybe I won't go to hell. 
They just want fire insurance. They don't want to change their life. They don't want to live right. They don't want to learn what Jesus said. They don't want any of that. They just want to, well, just, just in case it might be true, let's do this. Yeah, it's, it's just not good enough. And Jesus will have none of that sort of thing. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Well, first, really? You're, just, you're not really showing it here. <laughs> but Jesus warns him anyway. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Now he's getting serious. He's getting worried. Pilate tries to do what is right, but for exactly the wrong reason, to protect his own skin. That's all he's trying to do. And, and with the wrong power, he's trying to do it himself. The problem is, Pilate doesn't really want to know the truth. The truth is about self-sacrifice. And pagans are all about self-gratification. But this is about the nature of God. Each person of whom sacrifices himself for the other two. And now, one of them sacrifices himself for us. But Pilate doesn't want that. He just wants to feel pleasure and avoid pain. Okay, He's a typical pagan. But it doesn't work like that. And Matthew tells us there's even more that's been going on. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Whoa! <laughs> now, God gives many warnings. So it could be, or maybe Satan's just kind of collecting evidence to use against Pilate, telling, getting the wife to say this, so Pilate will be more guilty and trying to influence Pilate to even greater guilt. Satan really hates. He loves <laughs> But it could be whatever. Anyway, from then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Ooh. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Oh, who just killed that friend of his who got it. Ooh. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic, Gabbatha. So he capitulates to the Jews' demands out of another fear, Rome, and creates an alliance, an unholy alliance, hypocrites and pagans against the living God, choosing a murderer. The hypocrites chose a murderer. Pilate let go a murderer rather than the one who raised people from the dead. Wow. And both pagans and the hypocrites were hoping to keep their political strength, the control that they think they have. In Pilate's case, he had to choose which fear would drive him. That's really it. He determined that the earthly king posed a greater threat than the eternal king. <laughs> And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? So he makes one more weak attempt to do right, or at least have the appearance of doing right. And of course it fails too. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Uh, see, what did he say? Uh, I have authority. 
to have you crucified or not. Yeah, it's pretty weak and hollow claim to innocence, Pilate. And those hypocrites, the chief priests, finally showed their true colors. The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. <laughs> wow, Caesar. <laughs> Given enough pressure, hypocrites will always show their true colors. I wonder if that's why God allows pressure sometimes. And it's curious that they and Pilate, allied together against Jesus, choose allegiance to the same person. And by the way, this allegiance, before that day was out, it would fall apart and end in animosity. Okay, that's how long this lasted. And in only three years, Pilate would be removed from the office. And according to one historian, he ended up in a small town in Spain where he and his wife did, where he killed himself. It's like Judas did. Within a few decades, the family of Annas would be ousted from power by the very Jews that still rejected Christ. How's that for irony? And Jerusalem, including the temple, would be abruptly and thoroughly destroyed by a successor of the Caesar that they said they gave their allegiance to. And neither the temple, or of course the temple worship, has ever been restored. Now what about the people? And the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. The priests drugged those people to a lower level than themselves. Just not too long before this day, Jesus had described those priests quite aptly. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Wow. <laughs> and no hypocrite wants to think anyone's better than them. Nobody's better than me. <laughs> you can't be better than me. Hmm. But we know the rest of the story. <laughs> it's great. And it's called the grace of God. God did not lay Jesus' blood on those Jews' children, or even on them. After the resurrection of Jesus, thousands and thousands of them would repent and turn to Jesus. Thousands of them. And here's a fascinating parallel to show this. Uh, Luke records it happening in the middle of all this, and it might help us. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. A third time... He said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. Three times, Pilate tried to release Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. And both of them did it to protect themselves. But remember the nature of God. It's about self-sacrifice. Pilate didn't want to hear about it. And apparently never got it. He never understood. But Peter did. Peter did turn back and follow Jesus. And millions have since then. Pagans and hypocrites, they take shortcuts to get what they want. They'll lie and they'll cheat if they think it'll help them. They'll play fair or they'll fake honest behavior or whatever works better. They'll make alliances and support people that would normally repulse them if it helps their cause. Keep the law, break the law, whatever. 
They don't really listen when those who follow God talk to them. They might go into hysterics. They might mock. They might even use church to get what they want. They might live in fear. They might be superstitious. And they might make some half-hearted attempts to live right. Some of them might think that they're in control. But the reality is that the direction that they are headed leads only to hell. And here's the really scary part. Every single person is, or once was, a pagan who knew and cared nothing about Jesus or a person who lived in a culture of Christianity but ridiculed and demeaned it, or even a hypocrite using Christ for their own gain. And shoot, I'm betting you know some who've been all three. <laughs> Maybe we even drove others to be twice the child of hell that we were. I know lots of people who've told me, man, I, I've done so many things in my life. I thought this guy, I know a guy who got a kid basically kill himself with drugs. He's trying to live with that. That's okay. Don't worry about that part. It isn't about what we are or were. It's about who Jesus was and He is. It's all about the grace of God. Every person you know who's a pagan or a hypocrite or just lives as a mocker of Christianity, every person you know could become a true believer. You don't know. No matter what they are now, it doesn't matter. If they're alive, if they're still breathing it's still possible for Jesus to save them. And we can be a part of that. We can be a part of changing their lives forever. We don't need to be, but God gives us a chance to be. We can tell them about the living hope that is ours through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pagans and hypocrites, oh my. (laughs) Maybe they'll never turn. They might be like Pilate or those chief priests. But maybe, just maybe, what you're looking at is our future brother or sister in Christ. Could be. Let's pray.